Hello and welcome to Where Have All the Children Gone? This is a deep dive true crime podcast that looks at the evil that affects our children and may be difficult to listen to. It contains graphic and mature themes which some might find offensive and is not recommended for young children. This is part two of the West Roads Mall shooting, the Robbie Hawkins story. Now, when I left off in the last podcast, uh, we got a kind of a glimpse at Robbie's life, his ideas of what was going on in life, what happened prior to the incident that I told you was going to happen. And I left off with his suicide note that the police had in their hands about an hour before the rampage started, but they had no idea where he was going to, this was going to take place because no one knew any place that he identified with uh, like we had in our last case. So the day of the shooting, Hawkins sent multiple personal messages to his family and friends. In a voicemail to his mother, he said, quote, Hi, Mom, it's me. I just wanted to let you know that I love you. Um, I'm sorry for everything. I'll see you later. Bye. Unquote. Hawkins is first seen on surveillance footage entering the local mall through the south entrance of the Von Muir department store at approximately 1.36 p.m. He is unarmed and wearing glasses, a black zippered sweatshirt over what appears to be a black Jack Daniels t-shirt. After he walked a short distance into the store and he looks around, he then turns and leaves. He returns again six minutes later through the same entrance, and he proceeded directly to the elevator at his immediate right. This time, he had a Sentry WASR-10, which is a automatic rifle, that he had stolen from his stepfather's house, along with two 30-round magazines taped together, concealed in a sweatshirt. He patiently takes the elevator to the top floor. At approximately 1.43, Hawkins stepped out of the elevator on the third floor and opened fire. He first killed two women standing by some clothes racks before firing down the atrium, killing two men on the first and second floors. He then wounded two people on the third floor, one fatally, before walking to the customer service desk where he shot several pe- people, killing three. Hawkins then committed suicide where he could be seen on a security camera by placing the gun up against his chin and pulling the trigger. Even though the Omaha police arrived at West Roads Mall within six minutes after receiving the first 911 calls, Hawkins had time to fire more than 30 rounds, striking 12 people. Six were killed instantly. One died before reaching the hospital, and another died despite 45 minutes of emergency treatment at another hospital. On many of the 911 calls, which have been released by the police, and you can go and listen to them if you want, you can hear the the gunshots in the background. They also received another call from a woman who was obviously just traumatized. It was just obvious that she was traumatized and told them, that the killer had taken his own life. Hawkins's father, Ron, was down the street from the mall when he heard about the shooting. He rushed to the scene and asked the officers if his son was involved. 
Now, he, they kind of just put him aside and uh, didn't answer his question. They had him kind of in, uh, in this little area and had him waiting. Uh, but then his uh, greatest fear was realized when his eldest daughter called him and told him Hawkins, his son, was the shooter. All he could do was sit down in shock. How did that sweet little boy become this monster? Especially when he had been doing so good. When the police surveilled the store to, to find and help the victims, the smell of gunpowder in the air clashed with sounds of Christmas music playing in the background, with smells of peppermint and pine boughs. The conflicting sight of coffee cups and purses splattered on the floor next to shiny packages all splattered with Hawkins's victims' blood. Of the eight people who were killed by Hawkins during the shooting, six were employees at the Von Muir store, and the remaining two were customers. Now, I feel in all of my podcasts that the victims are more important here than the perpetrator, though I have some feelings for the perpetrator that he should have gotten more appropriate help. My feeling more goes to the, the victims, and I want, to, I want the victims to have a face to you. Again, my message is that you need to intervene when you see people like this going down this path. A lot of times outsiders have a bigger influence on children than do their, their immediate families. So mentoring is so important in children in this, in this preteen or early teen age. I'm going to give, like I said, a face to the victims. The first one was Beverly Flynn. She was 47 and she was an employee. This was her second Christmas season as a gift wrapper at the Von Muir. She didn't do it for money. She did it because of the fun of it. And as her friend said, she liked the discount. Her regular job was as a real estate agent for NP Dodge Company. And whenever she closed a deal, the 47-year-old Omaha woman planted a rose bush in the garden of the new homeowner as a move-in gift. This was her way of putting her style on the whole transaction. She was described as a very warm individual. Flynn had a gunshot wound to the chest with minimal life signs, the doctor said, but emergency medical technicians were doing CPR and she was taken to surgery. But after 45 minutes, she was pronounced dead. A second victim was Janet Jorgensen, 66. She was a longtime employee in Von Muir's gift department. In fact, she had worked at the store since it opened about a dozen years ago. She is survived by a husband, three children, and eight grandchildren. And she and her husband had just celebrated 50 years of marriage. In this day and age, that is a milestone right there. She was popular with coworkers and customers alike. Almost everyone who shopped there seemed to know the 66-year-old Omaha woman because of her friendly, outgoing personality. Another victim was Gary Joy, 56, employee. Gary Joy was divorced and had no children. He is survived by his mother and an older brother. He was a devoted son to his 91-year-old mother, her name was Inez, and Joy's mother Inez said her son visited often at the retirement community where she and her sister lived. She said her son was pursuing a degree in literature at Bellevue University. She said her son loved to write poetry and stories. 
Joy often dined with with her at her Omaha retirement community and most recently was there at Thanksgiving. He always came when I needed help, she said. Joy was the first victim who arrived at the trauma center, but he was dead on arrival. Inez said that he donated his organs. She called that typical of the way he always helped others. I want to give a face to John McDonald, 65. He was a customer. John McDonald and his wife of 40 years were getting Christmas gifts wrapped at Von Muir when the shooting started. They tried to hide behind a chair, but he was shot and died before paramedics could reach him, said his wife, Kathy. Now, he stepped in front of any bullet in front of his wife. Now, this is a real man. Not many do that and would do that. And this is an exemplary of a hero to me. I want you to see this victim in your mind, that he got in front of his wife, Kathy, and took the bullet. He was one of the greatest people anyone could hope to meet, Kathy McDonald said. He had a fantastic sense of humor, and he was so accepting of people. John McDonald, 65, loved music, electronics, and astronomy, and he played bridge in the guitar. He is survived by his wife, two children, and seven granddaughters. I want to give a face to Gary Scharf, 48. He was a customer. Gary Scharf was on his way home to Lincoln after a business trip in Iowa when he stopped at the Von Muir store. His ex-wife had dubbed him Dudley Do-Right. I'm sure he got in front of other people and took a bullet that might have hit someone else, said his ex-wife, Kim Scharf. There's no doubt in my mind, I promise you, that's who he is, to a fault. Sharp, 48, sold agricultural products and was devoted to helping people, she said. Recently, he helped a single mom get her car started, then got her address and delivered a package of groceries and blankets to her doorstep. Kim Sharp said the couple divorced about three years ago, but he followed me out of the divorce court and said, we'll remarry in six months. They saw each other every day and were planning to get remarried. Scharf was a customer on the third floor of Von Muir when he was caught in a barrage of gunfire. He was known as an excellent father to his son, Steve, a loving son to his mother, and a great family man. His son, Steve, called his father his best friend. I want to give a face to Andy Schuster, 36. She was born in Dubuque, Iowa, and graduated from the University of Northern Iowa in 1994 with a degree in education. Her sister, Donna Kinkle, stated that Schuster had planned to teach elementary school after graduating from college, but when she couldn't find a job in the field, she started working in retail. She worked as a manager of the girls' department of Von Muir and worked at Von Muir for about 10 years. The girls' department is near the third floor elevator, which meant she probably didn't have any chance or any warning against the gunman. They say he got off the elevator and she would have been right there in his way. Angie was a devoted sister and aunt. Their sister's family said in a statement that she was a very sweet and tender person and was loved by everyone that knew her. She was very close to both of her sisters who live in Nebraska. She was a wonderful aunt to her two nieces and her nephew. She really loved children and talked about her nieces and nephew all the time. She was in love with a new boyfriend and very happy. 
about the life that they were planning together after all these years. Andy always kept in touch with friends, even throughout her life, even those from high school and those from college and back to her childhood. I want to give a face to Diane Trent, 53. She was a mere employee and spent warm evenings tending to the flowers on her porch and drinking tea and chatting with her neighbor, Errol Schlenker. She was a very incredibly sweet person, Schlenker said. She was a middle-of-the-road American, a dedicated worker. She was just a decent person who lived a good life. She was divorced many years ago with no children. Trent, 53, lived in a northwest Omaha townhouse with a small dog and two cats. Schlenker said she was a very happy place in her life. She had met a man, and they were so happy. The family attorney released the following statement. Diane was the third oldest of six siblings. She leaves behind four sisters and a brother who loved her very much. She grew up in Omaha. She attended St. Pius and Marion High School and graduated from Benson High School. Diane was a dedicated worker at Von Muir for the last eight years. She was a gentle, generous, soft-spoken woman who loved the Lord. Diane enjoyed vacationing with their family and she loved the Christmas season and shopping. She lovingly took in animals. Anyone who met her loved her. She was a fabulous aunt to 10 nieces and 13 nephews. She will greatly be missed by her family and friends. I want to give a face to Maggie Webb, 24, an employee. Maggie was new to the Omaha Van Muir store. She transferred there from a Chicago location earlier that year according to her alma mater, Illinois State University. She graduated in 05 with a degree in business administration. Webb, who was about two weeks shy of her 25th birthday, was the youngest victim of Wednesday's shooting rampage. Four of the victims shot by Hawkins survived. Two were critically injured. The first one I want to give a face to is Fred Wilson, 61. He was a manager for the customer service department. He went to the University of Nebraska Medical Center with a gunshot wound to the upper chest. By the time he reached the ER, he had lost three quarters of his blood and had no pulse. Wilson was upgraded to stable by the following weekend and soon after was making some attempts to communicate. Wilson's family said their hearts go to the families of the dead and they said they spent a lot of time with Wilson, and he's starting to react to them a little bit. I want to give a voice and a face to another critically wounded victim, Michelle Mickey Oldham, 65, who was a customer service employee and was sent to Crichton University Medical Center. Oldham had taken two gunshot wounds, one to the abdomen and one to the back. She was taken into surgery and on Thursday morning was in intensive care. Of the surviving victim, she suffered the worst injuries. I want to give a face to Jeff Schwart, 34, who was a customer, who was treated and released at UNMC for a gunshot wound to the left arm and little finger of his left hand. Doctor said he was hit in the arm and they hoped to save the limb. Mandy Hydra, 34, she received a bruise from a bullet fragment that struck her leg. She was neither transported nor treated for the injury. Brad 55, Stafford, 55, was also treated and released. 
Two others at the scene were sent to local hospitals and were sent there for reasons other than being shot by Hawkins. I don't know if it was some type of stress, some, maybe someone had some type of cardiac event because of being exposed to the shooting. I don't know. It just said that there were two other people. I tried to get you some more updates. Um, I know that these people survived that I said were survivors, but only one was willing to come forward uh, at an anniversary for the uh, shooting, and they really didn't say anything about how anybody was doing. Now, on Saturday, black tarps draped the inside of the department store doors in a note from management and the store said the store would reopen soon, but no date was given. And they put out there and also on their on their website that because of on your company operates stores across the US Midwest, expressing their sympathy for the victims, stating that they were family, not just employees. They also said they had established a memorial fund for the shooting victims and their families and invited public contributions. It also said it was helping families of the eight victims with funeral arrangements and grief counseling. Interestingly, an autopsy of Hodkins showed that he had only 200 nanograms per milliliter of Valium in his system, which is at the low end of the therapeutic use range. Um, it didn't say that he was on Valium for any kind of therapy, but I know kind of in this time range, they did use Valium quite a bit for stress. And it could be that he was, he had it during, after one of his hospitalizations. Of course, no one had any normalcy in their lives for a long time. It was difficult to go out to eat without hearing people discussing the incident. People would come from out, uh, other towns to see where the incident happened. You couldn't even go to church because there was where there wasn't a memorial going on for one victim or another for quite a long time. Now, of course, Hawkinson's parents blamed themselves. I mean, they never said why they blamed themselves other than his stepmother made an irrational comment replaying that backpack incident, wondering, oh, what would have happened if I hadn't confronted him and tried to take his backpack? What if I would just given his sister the $10 he took? I mean, that's really irrational thinking. So this whole time, these parents never rationally thought about the illness that their son had to get him appropriate treatment. It was only when he was in crisis did they throw him in a treatment and just dump him there so that that caused a whole bunch more problems. Now, my one question that sent me down the rabbit hole for a while and why this episode was kind of delayed is that why Von Muir? The other kid that we talked about had an attachment to that mall because that was his safe place when he was a child. But I couldn't figure out why Von Muir was, was the place that he chose to attack and not any other store in the mall. And the best answer that I could find was Von Muir is considered like the most upscale department store anywhere. I mean, a signature element of Von Muir stores is a live pianist performing for the customers during normal business hours. So it's kind of pretty, pretty swanky or posh, kind of like an elite Nordstrom's. I finally found one interview on CNN where the question was asked of a friend of Hopkins by the name of Je Janae Jones. 
she surmised that a lot of the stuff there is very expensive and people who make more money than him would be shopping there. And she felt that, quote, in Hawkins's eyes, the people that shopped at Von Muir thought they were better than him and he didn't like it, unquote. So that might be where he said he's going to take some pieces of shit with him because he felt that anyone that was rich looked down on him and therefore and didn't help him and therefore they were some type of piece of shit in his mind. Um, Hawkins's gravestone is very isolated and away from other graves. In fact, the guy that was in this one documentary about the shooting had a really hard time finding it. And I guess it was the family's way of giving back to the community by not tarnishing the memories of the other victims, just having his gravesite be very, um, nothing really there, very isolated and away from everyone else. Well, that wraps it up for this episode of Where Have All the Children Gone? If you have any feedback, please feel free to contact me at truecrimechildren at gmail.com. Please hit the follow button wherever you listen to this podcast so you'll know each time a new episode drops. Like I told you earlier on the first episode of this series, I'm in the midst of buying and selling my home, so things are a little crazy right now, and as soon as I get moved, I'll get back on a regular schedule. I'm excited because I have just got numerous cases I can't wait to bring you. So hang in there until next time. This is Allie signing off for Where Have All the Children Gone?